0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Anne Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Azban. Our daf of the day, Masachat Sukkah, Daf Kaf page 29. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to start on page 28, meaning the Mishnah that that is the Mishnah of the daf, um, or at least the Amud Aleph of this daf, is on. And as you know, we didn't Kol Shivat Yamim Adam Keva UveTo all seven days of Sukkot, a person makes his, his permanent residence, his fixed you know residence, and his home becomes a temporary residence. So, of course, that's a little bit ironic because the whole idea of the sukkah is that it is aray, you know, in some ways. Um, but the point is that this is how a person is using it, right? That the treat your sukkah as you would your home. Um, what happens if it rains and this is something that certainly people on the North America know but I think it's really something that can happen most of the world over less so in Israel of course where rain on Sukkot is considered a curse we'll talk about it in Masachat Tani perhaps so at what point when the rain is coming down, is it, are you allowed to get up and leave the sukkah because it's raining so hard that you, it's time to go. So the Mishnah says okay. we get spoiled from the from the rain. the so we have a parable here. What is it similar? It's like a servant who comes to pour wine for his master and then he pours the whole jug of water, let's say, the whole jug of what he's pouring, in his face. Um, you know, meaning it's like saying, here we are, Hashem, we're in the sukkah, yay, we're going to celebrate Sukkot, and then Hashem makes it rain, and that's like saying, no, I don't want you in the sukkah, I meaning if it's raining so hard, it's, it's a slap in our face, really, for what we're doing to come to, to the mitzvah of Sukkot. It's as if God says, I don't want you doing so. Um, okay so the fir- the first picks up exactly this discussion of what does it mean to make your sukkah the permanent residence and your home the temporary residence so the Gemara says keitsad hayulo kelim na'im sukkah sukkah if you have nice nice vessels right if you have beautiful things bring them to the sukkah matz'ot na'ot beautiful bed. you should take that to the sukkah ma'alan sukkah Everything you do, you eat in the sukkah. How do we know all this? It's a teshvu, that you should dwell, Ke'en Taduru, like living. Right? This is the expression that we've now seen several times, and it is in fact the main principle of what does it mean to dwell, to settle yourself into your sukkah for the week of sukkot. Mikan amru, arai. And then it asks again the question, how is this done? And you sit and you learn Torah in the sukkah. So the this is a second version, right, of the same text that I just read. But the second one um, kind of ups the ante here and says, not only will you eat at the sukkah, this is where you're going to be studying Torah. So then the Gemara goes on, and Yardina, then I'm going to turn this over to you because I know there's some questions that are coming up. But the Gemara says, Really? So didn't Rava say that if you're if you're learning, sorry, if you're learning Tanakh or you're learning Mishnah, then you and you learn them in the sukkah, right? Then that's fine. But if you're going to be analyzing, them, which we're talking about there is the learning that went into making the Gemara, which of course is a fascinating you know, self-referential type of comment, um, then that you should be doing outside of the sukkah, meaning you should not be analyzing Torah in the sukkah. Why? Lokasha is not, this is, this is not a hard thing to... Ha b'migras ha b'inui. So the idea is that if you're engaging in extensive study, right, then extensive or intensive right meaning the idea that it, you're taking delving in in a very serious way that's the kind of thing where you should do it in an environment that is a serious place of Torah study you know for example a Beit midrash not for example your sukkah which is next to be home I wonder and I don't know if he would make the same you know um learning at home um as opposed to meaning the idea is that once you're in your home you are I guess a little more relaxed than you would be, a little less focused, perhaps. We can no longer say this, given
1: how much time we've all spent. Year and a half. Anyway, your Dana. over to you. So the Gemara is a very famous passage that then uh, evolves into, you know, one of the more uh, theological discussions, I would say, that we see in the, in the Gemara. Tanaravanan, hayo so the Gemara basically says that we're, you know, discussing about this eating of food and it starts to rain in the sukkah, right? That you don't have to go, you know, you can basically go out of the sukkah to finish eating and you don't have to come back uh, when if it finishes raining. Right? And the same idea that you don't need to, if it started raining in the sukkah and you were sleeping, you don't need to sort of go back. The Gemara has a cute little play on words here about whether Yeor is with an ayin or an Aleph and comes to the conclusion that it means until the light comes up and until the person actually wakes up. So in other words, once you move, you move. And then it says this, which is from the Mishnah, Masha right? What is this like, this incidence of, you know, raining on Sukkot? Because remember, rain over Sukkot, at least in, in Israel, is really before the rainy season. right? So what is this, you know, what is this like? Um, and, and this was raised before the Chazal. Mi shafach lemi, right? It's like one who poured water in somebody's face, right? Toshma, coming here to Tanya and we have a brace of the teachers. Shafach l'aravot kitona panav amarlo i'avshi b'shimu sheikh. So it's like a master pours a jug of water on his, you know, servant's face. And he says, I do not want your service. And so from here, we learn this idea that when it rains on Sukkot, it's considered to sort of be a bad omen. It means almost in a way like Hashem is rejecting our celebration of Sukkot. Hashem is rejecting us being able to celebrate this holiday. Um, And if it rains, it's it's just, it's not a simon tov, it's a simon ra. And I've been in Israel certainly for a number of Sukkot. um, And I remember one, many, many years ago where there was like a crazy storm on the first night of Sukkot. Almost everybody's Sukkah was destroyed in a way you could not eat in the Sukkah the first day of Chag. Like you just your circle was destroyed and you had this like palpable sense of uneasiness, right? Like this isn't the way the Chag is supposed to go. It's not the way the holiday is supposed to be. Something bad has happened. And then what essentially follows is a series of uh Rabbinic sayings, right? Well, about a solar eclipse, right? What does it mean if you have a solar eclipse? What does it mean if the sun is a particular type of color? Um, what does it mean? Uh, you know, so it could mean like the the bringing of war, or something like that. What does it mean for Jews? What does it mean for non-Jews? Um, then it goes into that there are four reasons, or sort of four sins that would uh, presumably, for you know, bad things that happen, you know, that would cause there to be a solar eclipse, right? Why are there things where other mill roads other heavenly uh, bodies are eclipsed? And it has a whole other, you know, list of, of bad things that humans could do. Um, and, you know, I think this is, you know, what are we supposed to do with these Talmudic passages uh, when we when we read them, right? Do we look at it as, okay, this was just sort of at their time with sort of less understanding of the world around them, less understanding of science, less understanding about why things happen, Um, you know, they sort of put some meaning into it. Or is this really giving us an outlook of like, what's the spiritual person? How are we supposed to relate to the world, right? Are we supposed to? Yes, I can understand scientifically why an eclipse happened. And even to the point that we know we can predict when solar eclipses or lunar eclipses are going to happen. But as a religious and spiritual, um, you know, person, am I supposed to sort of, um, you know, like use that as a way to view the world that I'm still obligated to say when I view something that looks different, that isn't typical, that's, you know, maybe scary. um, Am I supposed to say that it has meaning, that it really happens because it's supposed to uh, you know, uh, it's supposed to teach me something or maybe think about something or let me know how God is really feeling. Um, and again, that's a very anthropomorphic way of feeling about God, right, or observing God. So that's my first question. The second question is, and Anne and I, you know, we we talked about this and, and we just feel strongly like, I don't think we like to whitewash anything, but I think the particular passage of all of this that's, you know, sort of very upsetting to our modern sensibilities is that, you know, why does a um, a chama loka? Why does the lunar eclipse happen? And so it gives three, three four reasons here. arba advarim Al Right, the abbetin, the head of the court who dies and is not eulogized appropriately. So in other words, in a way, it's like the sun is covered. So it's a way of like sort of there being a eulogy in heaven. Right. Uh, The betrothed young woman who screams in the city that she's being raped and nobody comes to rescue her. And because of homosexuality. And two brothers who were spilled, whose blood was spilled as one. Two brothers who are killed at the same time. And obviously, like when I read this and I see this passage about homosexuality, I'm going to be blunt. I don't have a good answer for this. This does not align with friends of mine who are gay. Um, I I don't know what to do with these passages. And I think the piece that we struggle with here, at least I internally struggle with, is I'm turning towards the towards the Talmud for halacha. I consider myself a halachic person. I view this as a book um, that sort of really has shaped my life. What do we do about these passages? Is it okay for me to sort of Pick and choose. Is it okay for me to say, you know, this passage is a little bit offensive to me and I don't like that it's there. And can we say that some that we believe sort of in the integrity or the timeliness of timelessness of some passages, even though we would say other passages maybe have not aged in a way that feel appropriate anymore? So I guess I'm sort of I don't have good answers for this. I don't think we'll solve this on a podcast. But I'm leaving us with two big questions. So I sort of would call this podcast, it's a, it's a question episode, right? The first one is, is that, is this just the rabbi's way of understanding the world because of their limitation? Or is this really trying to tell us this is the way the religious person views the world? We are supposed to find meaning in what is even natural and occur- occurrences. And when we find that meeting, that should reflect our action. We should be doing chuba. We should be looking around at the world around us. And the second piece is, what do we do with these highly problematic passages that really are quite offensive or hurtful? Um, and I don't have good answers to any of that, but I just wanted to, you know, to raise it with, with our community.
0: So, I think on the first question, I think there's a middle ground, right? I think that the the phenomenon of the eclipse, which we now know to have, we know exactly how and when eclipses happen, and in, in the in the what astronomical phenomena, how it takes place. I think that saying that the predictability of that, I feel like knowing mitigates against the idea that this is designed to be a a lesson or rebuke or something like that to people living. And I think that the knowledge, the extra scientific knowledge that we have which we've now had for a very long time, some of which Chazal had and used, right? But not per se about eclipses as far as I understand it anyway. So I feel like, so maybe there, we don't have to say um, that the eclipse is coming to showcase, you know, God's wrath or something like that, right? Because it's it's regular, it's cyclical. it's It's got a, a defined time, independent of anything we human beings are going to be doing at that same time. Whereas something like rain on Sukkot is not you know not a given at least anything we know about it now it's not it's not that predictable in that way right sometimes it rains sometimes it doesn't there's no there's no as far as i know anyway there's no way to know what year it's going to rain and for how much and in what cities and so on so i feel like there maybe to say like oh perhaps god is you know conveying some kind of message to us or even if he's not if we step back and say we should take it as a message You know, in any case, I think that there's some value to that. You know, the Rambam says in, I think, in Hilchot Taniot, he says specifically, you know, if you, if you, um, when bad things happen to you, you know, check out what you have done. He doesn't say you have done something to cause the bad things. He says, you know, use it as an opportunity to reform yourself, even if it had nothing, even if there's no causation, right, just use it as an opportunity to, to see if you can do better and that, in fact, will in turn, we hope, better the world, whatever. So as far as question number one goes, I think that there's this middle ground of like, we don't have to accept everything because some of the things, it's not just here, right? There's other science science, in the, there's other science that we know that mitigates against the claims of the Gemara um, in ways that we certainly can, you know, accept, whatever. Um, and so then I think that the messages of those things become more difficult. And then... But then there's these other things which like rain, um or perhaps a pandemic, that are not quite as reliable. And then I think the question of stepping back and saying, "Okay, is there a lesson for us?" And not to be so presumptuous as to know that we know what God has in mind because of that really is very hard to say. But to say that we can, you know use it as an opportunity to better ourselves, I think, is a, a healthy way to go, even if it's not necessarily delving to the truth, capital t truth of of how this all works together because, you know, how is it the Chazal didn't have this science if they are Chazal, for starters? Um, The second question about the homosexuality, for example, I think there are plenty of things in the Gemara that are uncomfortable for us with our modern sensibilities, and I think that it is, for me, I can only speak for myself here, and I know that what I'm about to say is not necessarily comfortable for other people, you know, at all, is I don't have a hard time saying the Torah prohibits sexual activity homosexual activity and so when the Gemara then frowns upon it it it's in line with that like it doesn't I don't have to bring it to today because because I'm not I'm not we don't have to paskin right it's not about paskinning here there's a there's a negativity in the Gemara towards homosexual acts which is found in the Chumash which that is the question and I do think that we need to leave it as a big question you know what does it mean that that homosexual practice is prohibited and yet some people are homosexual. And how is it that God created a world that, you know, on the one hand there is prohibitions and and yet there's a world that kind of defies those prohibitions. So yes, your Dan, I think it's an open question.
1: I, and i I appreciate what you said. Like it's not the Talmud who made this up. It does go back to a bigger biblical Toshibta tosh, tosh question, which I think we don't have answers to. So you know, I hope our learners and our virtual chavrutas can appreciate, you know, this is a dap we struggle with. And uh, but at least, you know, we want to just sometimes asking the question, I think, has to be uh, is enough sometimes. And, you know, but we really welcome some answers and uh, ideas about maybe how to process some of what's on. Well, that's our dap discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabani Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.